0: That was full
1: it's nice full open good way to start 2022 well like you said I did not hear it but I'm sure it picked it up uh not the best way to start 2022 have nine inches of snow outside <laughs> so that sucks but yeah we were know, it is what it is in
0: Louisville a little farther north we were like on the, the far edge of the system so we got like two maybe third three throughout yesterday wasn't a whole lot but yeah, you sent me a picture and it was like your entire like back deck table had... You could see, like, there's eight, nine inches.
1: There's nuts. I don't even care about that. I just get annoyed when I can't drive around. Or, like, other people drive very ignorantly, I guess. <laughs> uh, less cautiously than I would in the ice. But, well, see, you know you what? Guys got,
0: it's you all guys good. got enough snow to where you can justify, like, oh, I'm going to hole up in my house for, like, two days before a lot of this melts. See, so we got the annoying, like, two to three inches where it pretty much just, oh, the roads are slush and shit. And... It's terrible, just
1: annoying and wet all over the place, and not a good time. But, but regardless, we're back, ready to hop into 2022. Um, we'll have an awesome guest, which we'll introduce here in just a second. Uh, but yeah, we'll let I'll let Mike take away all the the stuff, uh, the upfront stuff here. <laughs> yeah, here the uh,
0: the housekeeping stuff. Let's see if I can. It's been about a month since the last podcast. We'll see if I don't screw this up. So. <clears throat> Welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Wall. And if you're listening on YouTube today, make sure you hit subscribe, drop a comment in the comment section to let us know what you think about anything and everything we said here today. All that stuff helps the algorithm. We like interacting with everybody. We do our best to interact with as much of it as we can. Um, Unfortunately, we don't get to all of it because we have a lot of other stuff on our plates and our personal lives and everything, but we appreciate it all the same. Uh, check out the podcast if you're on podcast services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on all those places. Easy to find us. Hit us. Hit follow there. Uh, check out social media, Facebook, Instagram, at Aged out Podcast. Never miss an update. And the podcast is sponsored by Lone Star Percussion. Use the discount code AGEDOUT. Save yourself $10 on any order of $50 or more. Everybody wins in that. Us, Lone Star, and you. So go check that out. LoneStarPercussion.com. And lastly, if you want to just give any kind of financial support to what Evan and I do here with this podcast and the YouTube channel, um, you can head over to patreon.com slash aged out podcasts. You can donate as little as $1 a month. And if you can't donate anything, you support us enough by just listening, subscribing to YouTube, all that stuff. How'd I do? Did I hit it that all? That was
1: uh, that was pretty seamless. All right. So I'll, uh, I'll give you a little applause for that. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. I'll get into it here and introduce our guest, a guy who is native to Kentucky and also currently residing back in the Bluegrass State, but has been well-traveled around the country and the world as well. Uh, Joining us is Mr. Jared Andrews. Welcome, dude.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Yeah, that's uh, good to kind of connect. I know we've been in similar proximity at several band shows and obviously live in the same (laughs) state (laughs) now. Been on the same Um,
2: track, yeah.
1: Yeah, you just kind of see people on passing, like, oh, there's Jared going to the lot, or there's so-and-so going to the lot. Uh, but yeah, man, it's good to just kind of sit down and hang and catch up and hear a little bit more about you, dude.
2: Absolutely. Um, would you like me to tell you a little about about myself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just, uh, I don't know, <laughs> how you got into drumming, how you got into, like, I don't know, was it fifth grade, sixth grade band? Maybe just hit on that some inspirational figures in your early days kind of mentors guided you. uh,
2: Yeah, man. I mean, I I started, you know, probably like a lot of, a lot of percussionists do. I mean, things are much better now, especially because a lot of people are, at least if they're not band directors, there's a lot of, uh, you know, music coaches out there that are actually putting a lot of effort in. I had a music coach, uh, a guy named Todd Wright, who taught a lot of successful people in Kentucky. Um, and he actually got me started in middle school. Um, and I remember the first thing he taught me was a paradiddle classic, right? That's like what everybody learns. And that's what everybody <laughs> who doesn't, you know, play drums knows what it is. Um, so it was cool. That was the first thing I learned. And, um, I ended up doing marching band in eighth grade. So I did it eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And, you know, just the little things did, uh, all state band and all district band. Um, when I was in high school, our band had never made it to state finals. In Kentucky, it's, it's actually pretty tough. You know, it's, it's a small state, but every band is pretty much in one circuit. And that circuit only has four bands from each class perform at finals. So it's actually really tough to get into Kentucky finals and, you know.
1: <laughs> and I would say that Kentucky is actually a pretty competitive, like, small band state like we don't have a lot of like the bigger groups like that you would see like the Avon, Carmel, Texas, but like the small classes, like what BOA would consider class A, um, a lot of really competitive bands like that size, which is kind of what Shelby County was then if I remember right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that time I would say we were a, you know, class A style, although we would have, I don't, I don't believe we would have ever survived uh, at that level at that time, but it was really cool to finally make finals. And that was something that happened my last two years of, High school, um, nice. But it's funny. I don't think much about that, as it was kind of like the springboard. But I know that we all shared quite a few um, same instructors, and I'm just going to throw their names out there because they were awesome: Justin Fisher, Brian Eisert. Um, who was the other guy we were chatting about earlier? Uh, Chris Logue was in, Chris at my Logue. high school. Oh yeah, yeah Chris Logue. Down in He's Texas the now. only man who oh, never wears sleeves, even <laughs> in the
1: winter, because he's so hairy. He's
2: yeah, he doesn't <laughs> need his <laughs>
0: sleeves. I, I got to jump in for a second before we get too far from it and into more of the drum corps or how you got into yeah. all that stuff. But So I was a Todd Wright kid, too. He taught me in high school for my junior and senior year was when he came to my high school. But he tells a story about how you got in to marching band. That, and I want you to confirm, because I've been wanting to ask you this forever. He tells the story of how you got into it as you were a football player and you were starting in middle school band. And he knew from the from the get-go, like, you just kind of naturally, like, your hands worked. Like, the way you naturally gripped the sticks, like, it just made sense to you. Mm. He claims that he was trying to push you and push you into marching band and, and percussion and all that stuff. And you were kind of divided between whether you wanted to play football. But he says you ended up, like, breaking your wrist or breaking your arm or something. <laughs> and then that kind of just, like, made the decision for you.
2: Is there no. any truth
0: to that at all, or is he making shit up?
2: Uh, th- there is all, all of that is fairly true up to the broken bone. I've never broken any bones, dude. <laughs> no, that is like that. That one is definitely somebody pulled that one out of the dumpster for sure. Um, but no, I mean I my dad was a football coach. He played college football, high school football, and he okay. was a local coach. So he was also my pee wee coach. Um, he taught you know coached me in the pee wee league and then the uh, middle school league. And then when it was time to it was like. I could either do marching band in eighth grade or I could finish out middle school football. And honestly, at the time it just band was more fun. My friends were in the band. Um, not not too many. I think I had about half friends in the band, half friends were football players. Um, but the, my closest friends at the time were in the band and, you know, I, I don't know if anybody else did this, but at that time, at that age, I used to get massive headaches from football practice. Um, and so that was actually one of the defining factors was that I actually just couldn't stop getting headaches after hmm. practices. Um, but it was tough because my dad, uh, sad moment. My dad didn't come to like any marching band stuff until I was like a senior because he was so bummed that I didn't play football. Classic baby boomer <laughs> father just disappointed as oh, no. shit. You know, oh, just man. moved on with his life um, because, you know, he was a football player He played football. He, you know, he didn't want his son to be in the marching band, dude. Uh, so, but I, I loved it and I stuck it out. Um, yeah. So that's the, that's the real story. Okay.
1: I just had to ask. All right. Now Evan, Sorry, take it away. Keep it moving.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, but like
1: you said, we had a lot of the same instructors. I think a lot of those guys came from like, at least Justin and Chris, like Eric Ward and that sort of like time.
2: Eric, yeah. Eric was the bomb. From, nobody, um, nobody Eric. nowadays knows who Eric Ward is, but he was, uh, he's a legend in his own right. And it's a Dude, damn at shame. Henry
1: Clay, at Henry Clay, yeah. we referred to him as Yoda. Um, Dude, just, I feel...
2: What, yeah. uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I got so no, excited. <laughs> I was just going to say, there was so many things that when I started my career at RCC, I was pretty young, and my most of my knowledge of how to teach in tech was based off Eric and Tom Aungst and John... Um, oh, John Merritt. No, no... Um, John, what's his name? He was the quad tech uh, from, like, 96 to 2002 at the Cadets. Mm. John Burbank. Mm. Oh. He'll be so mad at me if he listens to this podcast. He's a good friend. I've been to his house. He's a good guy. Um, those three gentlemen were um, excellent, excellent drum corps technicians, teachers, motivators. Um, so they don't get – John. nobody knows about John. Nobody knows about Eric. And both those guys are legends. They would do a great job today if they were there.
0: Well, yeah, we one of those compared- – Go ahead, Mike. Eric's one of those we want to have on here. We the guy that taught me in yeah, high school. You can find him. <laughs> well, so here's I have a connection. So the guy that taught me to drum, and th- and I was later taught by Todd Wright is Damon Smith, who marched cadets yeah. in '94. Yes. Um, I think he was actually on tour with the cadets a little bit, doing something with Eric when you were marching.
2: Yes. Um, and Damon came to Morehead quite a bit when I was yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. He was our MET guy. He would. He he was the MET guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. So like he marsh cadets in the early 90s taught me to drum and he still has eric's number talks to him regularly they were like roommates at moorhead like so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to use that damon connection we're gonna try and make this happen at some point
2: you should hit me up because i know that eric was teaching jazz as well and he was a big thelonious monk fan and Mm -hmm. i recently have i would never show anybody but i have been practicing jazz vibes a little bit uh and I wanted to pick his brain, actually. So it's funny you mentioned it, and here we are having a normal human conversation in the middle of this podcast. But let's <laughs> let's let's uh, circle back on that here in about forty five minutes. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deal. Segway. Uh, great
1: segue, actually. So we brought up bornhead and also our instructors in high school, Todd.
2: Oh, I also and taught with uh, also taught with Eric at Glassman. Forgot to mention that. Oh no! Nice. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, shout
1: yeah. yeah. Oh seven. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, no, we don't have to
2: talk about that. That's all
1: right. <laughs> so I wanted to go to Moorhead, and you can share your inspiration for going to Moorhead too. But I had just heard so many stories from Chris and Justin about like their experiences at Moorhead and like how much fun they had and like how good they got at drumming. And like, like yeah, we just go sit out on the wall, and like there'd always be someone out there drumming, and we just bust our pads and drum till like two or three in the morning. Um, so that was my inspiration to go. What led you to your your stint at Moorhead?
2: Uh, it was really similar. I mean, most of the, you know, the, the people that I was, my first contact with it, you know, mature players were all from Moorhead. Um, I, my, because Todd was our instructor, we did the Moorhead day of percussion all the five, you know, five years I was in the, the marching group. Uh, and then I used to do the Moorhead, uh, they did like a, a band day. I'm not try, trying to remember what Blue it was. Blue and gold. Yeah. Something like that. Well, no, no, not like, not the marching band thing. They did like a concert oh. band. Yeah, uh, the, it's like, all, yeah. like an all district thing, but it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that. I can't remember what it was called, but uh, so I used to go out for that as well. Uh, so I actually auditioned at UK and Moorhead. I got a scholarship at Moorhead, and then uh, I, I had already kind of knew that I wanted to go. And so that's why I headed out that way. But it was only
1: that years ago. Is that kind of like uh, what f- fueled you or like pushed you? to go to eventually to cadets? Because I know there was a few people at Moorhead that marched cadets, um, but you may have been the first, right, in 2002 yeah. of like the Kyle Lee, Seth Whitaker kind of group?
2: Yeah, the last person to march cadets was Eric Ward. Um, okay. From from there. And I didn't go to Moorhead then audition for cadets. I auditioned for cadets in high school. Um, oh, wow. And then I made it when I was a senior and actually all days started before graduation. So I flew out, did two weeks of all days, flew back, did my... Ceremony, and then uh, flew back out for the rest of tour, and then I then I came to Moorhead fresh off tour, and my roommate was Kyle Lee. Nah. Uh, Seth Seth was a so a senior, and then our sophomore year, Seth came to Moorhead, and then that that year, as when everybody, well, I guess Kyle was in an O three, and then the following year, Seth came in O four.
1: Right, all right. On. So you, that's nuts. Uh, March cadets, your senior year of high school after your senior year, that was like O oh, two six man quad line too, wasn't it?
2: Uh, yes. Legendary. I mean, it's hard to say it was legendary because back in the day, I mean, uh, Madison was truly the legendary large quad line core. Um, uh, but I don't know. And, and somebody can comment on this in the comments, but I can't think of any drumline, at least since 1992, let's just say 30 years, that one high percussion was six quads, except for Cadetso 2 Ooh-hoo. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure.
1: You came in the middle of the tear. You stayed at Cadets for 02, 03, and 04, right? So, Correct. Uh, Zach was in there holding it down. Uh, yes. Zach Slicker, who taught me at Crown both summers I was there in 2009, 2010. Yes. Um, I Zach would always tell so many funny stories of just like, yeah, I sat there and played the snare feature with the center snare and we played it clean 50 times in a row. And I'm just like, w- okay, Zach, I, I don't. I don't even know how to relate to that. I'm, I'm too tired <laughs> to play the snare feature. Like, yeah, $50. He's just, he, he was just like one of the most driven people like I've ever been around.
2: Yeah, he was a little on the. You know, there's definitely difference. I mean, that was the beauty of my experience between going from the Cadets, Kentucky, and then to the West Coast and doing it all. Because uh, like that that is one way to do it. <laughs> you know, for sure. That's one way to do it.
1: Right. So you won your two drum trophies. and Then 04 uh, was... That the, oh, that was the year that you all played all the super fast heritages. I was like, man, there's <laughs> a lot of heritages. Um, yeah, so then you did decide to go out to West coast. What was the motivation for going from, um, you just spent three years at cadets one, one, two drum trophies in those years. Now I'm going to like take my chance and see what, what blue Devils have to offer.
2: Yeah. um, You know, it, it actually, I had, there's, it's kind of like a, all right. In 2003 at Moorhead, there was a guy who had some VHS tapes of uh, Blue Devils 2000 uh, in the lot. And we used to hang out in the dorm rooms and watch those and, like, learn the parts and stuff. And at this time, I had already marched one season at Cadets. Um, And, you know, 2000 sounds old, but at that time it was just three years before or two years before. So then the following year, 2003, um, Vern Johnson comes on staff, and he was a Blue Devil, um, uh, the quad tech and Tim Jackson at that time had made the quad line at a random audition at like WGI finals. Um, So there was somebody that I knew that was marching Blue Devils, and I was kind of interested, but I was a cadet through and through. And then I came back in 04. I was a section leader of the quad line. And I I was, like I said, a cadet through and through. And that summer just sadly kind of, there was two two things. It kind of broke me um, in terms of my love for the Corps. But There was a guy who marched, and he he was Japanese. His name was Hajime Nogami. Um, And he's actually a Yamaha artist in Japan, still plays and teaches, Um, and actually has a YouTube channel, um, does some really cool stuff. He was playing quads like I would never seen in my life. I thought I was a cadet quad player. I was a section leader. I thought I was hot shit. And to be honest with you, he was playing things that I could not play, independence patterns, um, just crazy arounds. And the way he looked when he played it, I just liked it. I I don't know. It was just aesthetically, you know, pleasing. Keep in mind, there was no internet. So I wasn't watching YouTube videos. So anyway, he was awesome. Um, So you had to wait for
1: your like uh, Vic Firth videos to buffer for like 30 minutes before (laughs) you could watch your two minute clip.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and you just you didn't know what was out there. You just kind of knew your thing and you did it and you saw it at the time at, you know, over the season. And then, like you said, you might get to see those Vic Firth clips like in August or september or whatever but he was badass and so uh he lived in riverside he went to riverside community college rcc um he was in the fall marching band there and i was not enjoying my time at moorhead um for it was just an it was an overload something you learn as as you get older i was trying to do too many things and i was being asked to to succeed at too many things and eventually i just kind of frazzled out and was and ended up looking for something else um and then the way he played just I realized that I wasn't as good of a quad player as I thought I was and that it was time for me to evolve and everybody he was playing with was from RCC or blue devil. So, uh, I moved to California after tour. That was the uh, tour of champions that the, the last time that they went to the West coast and right. I never came home. I called my parents and I said, I'm going to stay in California. And I did. A <laughs>
1: couple wow. things there I want to hit on. Um, 2000 Blue Devils, awesome show of methods of madness. Actually, 2000 and some 2001. Of the
2: sickest, dude. If people watch this podcast, Blue, probably don't even know. Away of Day Blue is dope too. But that took the beats in 2000. If you just search that, like YouTube, yeah. the lot. There is some wacky, like wacky rhythms in there, and some very cool interplay. And the Quad Book was out of this world, in my opinion. I think that it's was still-
1: one of my first, uh, like DCI. DVD videos 2000 and 2001 blue Devils uh I think 2000 was also the year they had that crazy pit accelerando through that wild ride uh chart or something like that like every bar is like a a new time or a new um yeah time
2: signature yeah it's
1: sick uh so and
2: then you said you knew Tim
1: Jackson before you auditioned a BD is that what right
2: yeah, the guy that I stood next to at Cadets was a, an original Rhythm X, uh, founding member. Huh. And he brought, <laughs> he went to high school with Tim Jackson and Tim. Uh, so Tim went to March Rhythm X and then. It wasn't me and Mike McKenna, at, was it? No, Mike, okay. Mike came in a year after. This is a uh, guy named Adam Clements. And, uh. Okay. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, redheaded gentleman. He's about six, yes. one, tall dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, he doesn't drum anymore. I think he's an engineer or something like that. And anyway, so, okay. uh. Tim ended up marching crossmen. Well, YEA was crossmen and cadets at the time. So we did our all days at the same facility. So Tim was in the quad line at crossmen. Adam and I were in the quad lines of cadets. So I, I hung out with them, you know, pretty regularly as much as I could handle. I was pretty tired <laughs> at that age. I I could barely handle it. To be honest with you. And you are.
1: You are so right. Like, I don't know how to explain it to people. And I always talk to a good friend of mine who plays quads now. Um, which you know who you, you taught Dean Hickman. Um,
2: oh, I talked to Dean today, actually. That's
1: crazy. Yeah, I saw you post on his Facebook yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I was actually just having, Yeah, yeah. I was at Dean's <laughs> house. I was at Dean's house for New Year's Eve. Um he had some people over. Dean was in my wedding, I was in his wedding type thing. Um, but I would just tell him and like what you were alluding to when I would watch like those BD, especially at that time, early two thousands, and it still holds true today. There's just something about the fluidity and the motion around the drums. I tell them it looks like aliens playing I, drums. I, I, I don't, I said don't the even same understand. Thing. <laughs>
0: I don't understand <laughs> I just, how yeah. it is. It's a different I world. Just,
1: it's it's quad yeah. drumming
0: mecca is what Blue Devils was for a long time. Probably still is a little bit. I think.
2: Yeah. Well, if you really want me to share my opinion on how it's changed, uh, we can do that when the time comes. But oh I yeah, think a lot of it, I think a lot <laughs> of it, and I'll start it. Really came with Jeremy Summers going to Bluecoats. Oh, but man. <laughs> no one no one will know who Jeremy Summers is either, although he's probably one of the best quad players in the world still.
0: Uh, so Jeremy was really the quad his tech. Brother. Yeah, actually, fun yeah. fun fact. We'll let you know of this real quick. So Jeremy was the quad tech in 2012 at Bluecoats when that was my age out summer in the snare line at Bluecoats. So I know Jeremy okay. from that. And I guess somehow, I don't know if his brother drums, but we his brother messaged us after the episode with, I think it was, was it Brandon Zaki? Brandon Zacky, yeah. And he goes, hey, yeah. Jeremy would never reach out to you guys, but here's his cell phone number. Text him.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could do a podcast on Jeremy, to be honest with you. I mean, when I started teaching at RCC, uh, he was, well, he actually was uh, in the quad line at Esperanza. So that was the first drum corps I taught, and two of the five, three of the five people ended up being RCC quad players. Um, so, uh, yeah, so anyway... Uh, well, jeremy. Well, before you go incredible. into this yeah. I'll just i know point out, yeah be careful bro i'll start taking laughs man
0: no 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 you're good before you do that i just want to point out you're not the first person to be on here that say jeremy summers was the reason for like the west coast quad lines being what they were for that era for that whole time period <laughs> but or you're, I heard you're not the vega first person cried. to say that i heard
2: sean, sean like to vega speak.
1: cried when he aged out yeah
2: <laughs> i think we all did man <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, Jeremy was a great – because I w- – J- Jeremy aged out of RCC in 2010. I aged out of indoor in 2006. Uh, so I was with Jeremy for seven, eight, nine, ten, four years. We worked together at RCC. And I got a lot out of teaching him. I really did. I learned a lot. Um, there's still things that I can remember he did that I still don't do <laughs> or don't teach. But there's a lot of stuff. He was just very creative, very smooth, had a great um, – uh, integrity to him as a member, um, and always prepared, uh, you know. And of course, he just, you just play anything, dude. And if he yeah. couldn't, he could the next time you saw him for sure. <laughs> he basically
1: like trained his fellow RCC March, marching members from that. What was it, La Quinta High School? Was like Nick and Scott and all those dudes. And I was just like, I remember I saw a video of that high school
2: one time. Was it the quad. one? I was like, what were they on the risers? That one? Yeah, I was like, what the yeah. hell is happening right now? <laughs> This uh, is how yeah, crazy it's I it's am. It. I know it, that was two thousand and eight. I even know what year that was. That was SCPA Open Class two thousand and eight. Uh, yeah, they, they. I don't even think they made it to finals. I don't think they medaled. Um, but yeah, they pretty pretty sick. Ike Jackson designed well, that show. Little fun. Um, little fun tidbit me. for you. There you go. Uh,
1: before we, I want to. I think there's so much more we can talk about that. But <laughs> one quick question. Yeah. So you went to BD. You made it for the 05 quad line, which is probably one of the still most talented, best quad lines that there has ever been. But BD, and correct me if I'm Wrong, does the audition process where they do, what's it called, the dogfight, where it's just basically like a last man standing, and it's kind of like an add-a-bar, like, all right, learn this measure. All right, now learn this, add it on. Add this next five counts on. Add this next counts on. And they probably still do it like that. But I heard that you actually won that that year that you auditioned. I?
2: Well, what's funny, I don't remember that, which I should if I did, um, because Kendall was very good at learning beats and so was Tim. Um, uh, but no, they don't, I don't know if Rudy still does the dog fight. That was a Vega thing. And, um, but it was very cool. And actually I was very nervous for the dog fight. That was the thing I was most nervous for my individual. Um, because I knew I didn't play quad beats like they did. I was like a cadet guy. And so I knew I was trying to play West coasty, but I'd only been there for like two months, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> And then the dogfight just scared me because um, I knew they were going to be playing things that I was, le- like, just arounds. I was just less comfortable to the style at that time. So if I did win that, I don't remember, but that's badass. Tell your friends.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll have to double-check with Tim. Well, he'll, he'll remember. He would remember if he lost. That's for sure. That's yeah.
2: probably why he would remember, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you do your summer with, uh, with BD, I'm assuming you just probably, your eyes and your brain exploded with knowledge. Uh, But at any point, did you regret it? Because obviously cadets had a lot of success that year, 05. They won drums. They won
2: the gold medal. That's a great question. Uh, That's a great question because, of course, I thought about it. And there's a fun story to that. When I did, I didn't regret it during uh the beginning of the summer i really loved it um the di- like the di- the duality of the two cores one was one way and at blue devils i learned a whole nother way to teach um and i think if you can combine those two worlds you can be really successful because one well we won't get into it was part of my secrets but um oh was i so we got back from europe cadets started kicking our ass i had won two drum trophies and no world championship cadets were winning everything drums and shows and then we got to the end of the year and we got fourth place. I think the only time in the last thirty years Blue Devils has gotten fourth place. They haven't meddled. Um and yeah,
1: that, that, it, that it, was the thousand hours of dance show, right?
2: Yeah, it's called Dance Derby of the Century. It's yeah, not, yeah. You guys don't have to watch it. It's okay. It's um nobody no, nobody watches it. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of other cool shows. But uh so yeah, so when I finished I, I thought had I made a mistake. And in looking back at it, the answer is no. But What happened was I was marching this group called Black Knights Indoor. Uh, They were a WGI group. And I marched them. And then I did Blue Devils, and I had one more year left to march. And Sean came to my house, actually. He knocked on my front door and said, hey, if you want to march RCC, you got to come do the audition, but there's a spot for you. I'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. Let's do this. And I actually thought about it, and I turned him down. And I didn't march my age out at RCC, which would have been 2006, which was a sick Quad book, by the way. That was the
1: geometric, um, geometric ge- ge- something show. Yeah, it's the sacred. They played the to Missy Elliott.
2: Yeah, it was all. It was the. It was Hercules, uh, uh, Sting. Um, yeah, yeah, Missy incredibly
1: Elliot. hard book.
2: Yeah, there was some. The, there was some quad. Oh, I mean hell, just watch the opening quad break it was just cool as hell. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I said no, and then I did Black Knights, and then we didn't make finals. I don't think that year, and then RCC. <laughs> RCC had that crazy meltdown, but that was a different thing. So I ended up, like, not winning my last drum corps when I could have and then not making finals when I could have. Um, So I had to kind of live with the fact that my last two seasons, even though they were at Blue Devils and all that, were were a little bit less, like, uh, I had less accolades. But I felt like I got more out of my process and my experience by making those choices, making some good ones. Because I don't think going to Blue Devils was a bad choice. I think... It opened uh, a lot of doors for me, um, and allowed me to learn from people that are just incredible, credible players, and it exposed me to a lot of. I think the best thing, forget teaching, just the players that I was around were just amazing. Um, I mean, I really thought a lot of my students. I call my students, but they were just badass players, and I was lucky, you know, to work with them at the time. So, uh, no, the answer is no. But at the time, it was a blurry thing, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally understand. Um, so you mentioned that in just doors that that opened up. So you age out, uh, then you end up teaching Glassman for were you just there the one year. Is that right? Um,
2: yeah, well, Oh six, I aged out and John Mapes reached out to me. And so I taught Esperanza and John Mapes oh, okay. Wrote, okay. wrote the book. Jim Wunderlich wrote the show who was at blue devils and RCC for many years and is now at broken arrow. Um, and Miguel Guadarrama was on staff. Jeremy Riley, the snare tech for Chino Hills, the last 12 years. Uh, was the center snare. Um, Ryan Anderson, who works at the Blue Coats and Pulse Percussion, was in the quad line. Jeremy was in the quad line. Brandon Zaki was in the quad line. Uh, Vanessa Vindiola, who does all the body movement for Broken City, was in that quad line. Um, So that was a very cool experience. And I got to hang out with John Mapes. And John is the one who recommended to Sean that he should hire me at RCC. So actually, John got me my job at RCC, which ultimately led to my job at Blue Devils, I believe. So yeah, so yeah, I was gonna. Glassman, yeah,
1: I was skipped over Glassman. They were there for, with Eric Ward, as you alluded to. And then, what was your first year um, with RSTC
2: teaching? Well, and Brandon, Zachy, and Dean were in that quad line as well. That's right.
1: Brandon and Dean, uh, who then 2008, Brandon went to BD, Dean went to Crown, where Rudy Crown. was, and then yep. followed BD, BD in 09 yeah. and 2010. Double BDs, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, double BD. Yeah, uh, I I hated Dean that summer because I was just getting I was getting my ass rocked. I do not regret any of my years at Crown, but like I was just. To my yeah nine, I'm sure it was just like what you were doing at Cadets. You're just you're getting you're getting worked. And was then a, yeah, 2009, okay. grass Dogs yeah, yeah, greener, yeah. and then 2010, and then I remember at the Atlanta Regional, I was just like, yeah, dude, blah blah blah, gotta go rehearsal. He's like, oh yeah, we're going to the hotel. I was like hotel I was like, yeah, we're seeing a hotel. And I was like, dude, get out of here. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. There's, there's they do are some a whole things different
1: world. Well.
2: Yeah. They do some things well, for sure. I don't know. I mean, a lot of cores have really upped their game. So I feel like that's true. There's a lot of good company out there. Um, but yeah, yeah they, I,
1: th- I think the member health has definitely upticked for a lot of, a lot of groups out there.
2: <laughs> absolutely. And for good reason. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. Um,
1: but what uh, your first year teaching RCC was?
2: I started in the fall of 2006 as a quad. Okay, team. with
1: the school. Okay.
2: Yeah, with the the marching band. So I did the marching band, and then uh, my first winter was the winter of 2007. Uh, Memento was the name of that show. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember my first. Yeah, wasn't
1: wasn't my? Was it Mike you at the end of
2: that? Yeah, and he's just. I think he just graduated college.
1: That's pretty wild to think about. Yeah.
2: His name's <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah. Come out have, and play we this. kept in touch. Yeah. He's Come gonna, out and play he's...
1: those flam Yeah,
2: handmade. That drum was handmade out of like a drum set Tom. It was a tin. The the harness was handmade. The unit they we had a custom uniform made for him. Um that is hilarious. One yeah, of the I only did. things
1: I remember from that show were the snare drummers doing like their split feature and playing rock, paper, scissors while they played drums.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there were some very cool things um in that show. At the time it was pretty avant-garde.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's crazy how fast the uh the activity evolves. Um So, so as, as you alluded to, that started your started your tenure with RCC and then eventually led to your tenure and gig with the Blue Devils. So you were at RCC 07. What was your last year? 2017. 2017.
2: Was that the Was
1: Dragon that the tree fly. show?
2: No, that was fifteen. Um, okay. so I was there for two more. We did the trees, <laughs> then we did the uh, the the choke one, the rope one. You remember? Yes, that?
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good the, one. Cre-
2: the creepy one, and then the last one was the dragonfly one. It was based off of a Buddhist poem. I can't remember what the name of the show was, but it was about dragonflies and or, or dragonfly was the the medium because it was about the life of uh, the lotus flower.
1: And that time. Guardians of the Breath show is still probably my favorite indoor show of all time.
2: Dude, so sick. That was one. Of, and I worked hard on that show. I gave lessons to the members. Uh, we we really put a lot of work into that, like, as a as a staff in general, you know. Um, like, that was, it, I, yeah. That, I mean, there was a huge payoff. I mean,
1: I, personally, I think that still probably should hold the, the WGI record, but I won't go into that. Uh, well, I've already been under that on this podcast several times, so it's fine. But I just love that show, and actually, you probably haven't seen this, but Mike and I did a breakdown uh, a while back. We took what was it, Rhythm X, RCC, MCM, Pulse, Pulse, and then started in on Broken City when yes. they, yes, when they kind of came to their fruition. But we were like analyzing. Second-wise, like, how much does each snare line play during the show? and then how Oh, much don't do that, dude. And then how much does the actual battery play? Like, any battery section. So we're just, like, and we broke it down. It's on, we still have it. It's on our uh, Instagram page. But, yeah, for some reason, Mike gave me all the Rhythm X and RCC shows. So I was just, like, bring it on. So I just fell in love with so many RCC shows that I was watching and
2: clocking their time and stuff, but... I just like Sean's willing to take a risk when some groups will write a duple role, he'll write. The idea is, but the way he sticks it or phrases it, you know, he's willing to take a risk, but not everybody can do that either. You know, you got to have people that are willing to try to be mature with stuff like that. You know, not to say that other people aren't, but it's just dangerous. You know, it's muddy water
1: <laughs> and i will say too for you don't that get any group. credit
2: for that you know what i mean you don't get yeah, any credit for that's that one of that those things right, that right. you're
0: gonna know it's there but is the judge really ever gonna pick up on the difficulty or the sticking no. change or anything like that yeah
2: no not unless it's super obvious to be honest
0: with
1: yeah. you yeah but that one thing you said there rcc shows were never like it was never a mold like, I'd watch it and be like, well, no, this show's completely no, no, different no. than the last year, and this show's completely different than the year next.
2: Tunings were different, shows different. Yeah, we did a lot of things different every year.
1: And they were... I, I think a lot of indoor groups, this is my personal opinion, can do angry well. It's it's a fairly easy emotion to portray while you're drumming. Uh, because angry drumming is, is... It's just easy. It's a Drumming's aggressive.
2: Angry is A-class, basically. Yeah. yeah if you want, my, if uh, you want my opinion, I think that that is... That's my go-to with a young ensemble um, because it is the easiest emotion to express. They're going to you know?
1: be able to perform it like oh just perform just like grit your teeth and like dig in, you know. Yeah. Uh but like figuring out how to like make someone smile while you're playing and and it look natural. <laughs> and look natural and look smooth and I remember that too for the 2018 show, and which I know you didn't teach there that year. But the ending of that, where they're doing all just those callbacks from years and years, and they're just like skipping around the
2: floor. I was like, this closer is just phenomenal. Just yeah, the construction of it. Yeah. Um, well, cool about it, RCC is they can. Well, Rhythm X did something like that recently too. I can't remember what year that was, but they did one where they 2017,
1: did some 17. It was like the yeah, behind. They were doing... it was like, yeah.
2: It's like my favorite things almost. It was like they were doing some things from each group, and I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, So obviously had a lot of – do you have a favorite RCC show that you were involved with?
2: Well, yeah. So when I started there in 07 for the winter, I was the quad tech, and I got promoted to the the caption head in 2011. Um, So my first season of really running, like scheduling the staff, running rehearsals, making changes, being there for everything was 11 – uh, and it was fairly successful, and it was very artistic. I liked that show. And the if anybody, the
1: aeroplane show.
2: Yes, it's called Hope Dream Fly, and actually the vocalist for that is Broken City's vocalist, uh, Adam Watts. Oh yeah, um, so same guy. Um, but my favorite RCC show there's there was two of them. Uh, 2012, I really enjoyed. Um, the gift. The gift, That's and a good it show. was an. I really enjoyed that one because uh, for two reasons. The staff all had. We were around a lot, and so there was really some cool things that happened where we were just there and we would play with some ideas, like the slow mo drum bomb drop. Like Sean, that was Sean's idea, but just being around for it was cool. Uh, Matt Regua and I um, really honed our sectional time the, and the way we scheduled it. Like we were really organized. Like sometimes it was down to like thirty to forty-five minute things. We would stick to it. Um, we had. We were, you know, bringing people on and off the floor. We had the Everything was moving and cyclically and uh that was really fun the quad line was amazing it was everybody um that was pretty much there the year before with the addition of chris drummer so it was really fun it was cheeses no it wasn't cheeses last year that was cheeses first year as a section leader uh, jesus sanchez and uh who's getting his jazz degree uh from peter erskine at usc but he uh yeah he killed it um just as a section leader he ended up marching vanguard i think the the summer before Um, So that really helped because it brought new stuff and him and I butted heads a lot um, because he was trying to do their thing and I was trying to do mine, but ultimately it was cool because we got, you know, we grew from that. And then 2015 was also, and I know we won both those years and that was like the cherry on top. But for me, I think the reason we won is the reason I enjoyed the season was because there was just the, the, the amount of work that went into it, the members, um, their attitudes, like the, the vibe of the group, Uh, the vibe of the staff, the music, you know, all those things combined for me uh, are the fun. It's the journey for me. I like the process. You know, I actually don't like going to finals so much. It's sad. It's boring. It's over. You know, for me, I like I like being there at nine in the morning and and uh, the Met comes on and like that you're looking around. and It's the first thing you've done since you drank coffee and everybody's got sticks in their hands It's like the best thing ever. You know, that's that's my favorite part. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that, that's actually funny. Dean used to always say something like that, too. He's like, man, I actually don't like going to shows. They're super stressful. I'd rather just rehearse. I was like, I I know what you mean. But at the same time, like, if you never went to shows, Dean, like, you'd just be like, why am I doing this? Uh, but that was kind of his mindset. He's like, man, I'm, the lot is, like, stressful. <laughs> like, you can't tick. You can't mess up. Like, everybody's watching you." I was like, I, I get it. But that's almost like the juice, too. You're just like, oh, give it to me. The adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly.
2: That's a, that's a high so, amount of focus, man.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Especially playing those freaking, uh, I swear it's the hardest quad exercise, the BD Flams. It's like whoever the quad section leader is or quad tech It's just like, how hard can we make the Flams around this year? Um, (laughs) but anyway, so your RCC gig, what was, got you your kind of introduction into BD? What was your first year at Blue Devils teaching?
2: So, Uh, it's a very cool story. Uh, 2012 was my first, uh, season on staff there. And, uh, I'll just kind of run you through it. So I was in Japan in 2011 working for universal studios. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Everybody. I was working at universal Studios in Japan. I came back. I had made the decision that I was going to leave Riverside, move to LA and pursue studio work or, or a drum set life. Um, and within two weeks, I got a phone call and it was Scott Johnson and Scott called and he said, Hey, you got a second? I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, anything (laughs) for the Don talk to me. Uh, and, uh, and so he was like, he was like, Hey, I got a weird question for you. And all this time I'm thinking he's going to ask me to be the quad tech. I finally, this is it. I'm going to be the quad tech. He's got a weird, I got a weird question for you. How would you feel about being the snare tech? And immediately I was like, I can't do that. Like, that's what, in my mind, I was like, there's no way, you know, for many reasons. But most of it was just, you know, uh, insecurities and um, imposter syndrome kind of thing. Um, And he was like, look, it's kind of an interesting situation. Your student, who was Jeremy's student, and I had had been with Nick for four or five years, Nick R C, the section leader uh, wasn't coming back. Nick felt like the group needed leadership, so he was going to leave the quad section and be the center snare. And this was like a big thing, you know, cause you just don't do that. And, um, and yeah, you know, most people
1: it, it, don't play quads for the blue devils and, and play then, snare. <laughs> from for the blue devils. As the right, snare. I'm so right. happy you went here. Cause I'm sitting here
0: smiling. Cause I was like, this is one of the areas that I wanted to ask him about. So please continue.
2: Yeah. I've got a lot of insight into some of how these things kind of panned out and it was very cool. So he asked me, you know, Nick's your student. Um, I talked to Sean. He said that you and Nick have a great relationship, which we do. And we always have Uh Nick, from the beginning, what I think of—I never thought I was a student. I say that just because for the podcast. But I mean, I really love that guy. He's a brother to me, um, and you know, I would—I would go to fisticuffs for him if needed. But we don't have to do that anymore because we're normal adults. But I love the guy. <laughs> so, um, and and I loved his drumming. I learned a lot from Nick too. So, um, so yeah. So he told me about that. So I said. Yeah, I think I'd be interested. So let me talk to Nick. So I get off the phone. I call Nick. And this is the best part of the story. So I'm talking to Nick. He's like, yeah, dude, you know, I'm going to do it. Are you in? And I was like, "Uh, you know, I think I should. He was like, dude, who cares? Just do it. It'll be fun. And um, we'll get to do it together. And I was like, Nick, you know how effing crazy it would be is if we're here, you know, nine months from now looking at each other and we just won a drum trophy, two quad players teaching the snare line, working, being the center snare line. And what if we won drums? Like, how crazy would that be? Um, so we do the year. And then, sure enough, we won. Not only we were undefeated, but we got the Fred Sanford. Um, so we yeah, did you, stand you on the beat field. you beat us.
0: You yeah, beat we us. Had,
2: <laughs> we had our moment, dude. Um, and, and I generally think we were, I honestly never saw you guys. I, I always stayed pretty tight to my, I was more of a gang, gangster style drum and tech. I, I didn't do too much watching. I was very much into my, I didn't want to be influenced I wanted to be influenced by things that weren't other drum lines, you know, um, for my creativity and style and things like that. Um, so I didn't watch a lot. But, yeah, so that was a very cool moment. And, you know, as a quad guy, Scott's old school. And at that time, it's not as much now. I think a lot of the kids now are very talented. But it was like a big thing. Like, oh, quad drummers can't play traditional. And then for a long time, I wore that in the back of my mind. Like, yeah, I, I can, but I'm not a real snare drummer a real traditional player and you know side tangent I've been doing all this jazz stuff and actually I was playing match because I was like well I'm a match guy and I've been doing lessons and the guy was like he was like well play tradition and I was like so I played and he was like you, have, you know you have a great left hand because of course I've chopped out years and years and years with at least high school kids and he was like I think <laughs> yeah. people would take you more seriously as a jazz drummer if you just play traditional and so here I am now practicing traditional every day and no one's going to give a shit about my rotation. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no one no, cares, no, dude. No, no. And nope. I bet I'm going to have I, a sweet I would even
1: I would even argue, too, in modern DCI, WGI, people care less and less, too, about what your hands look like to a degree. Um, but the focus, and thank God, it's shifted more to, well, what do your hands sound like? Yep, uh, 100%. Yeah. What, what kind of, what kind of, are, can you balance? Can you play the volume the same? Like uh, if you don't rotate exactly like the person in and inside and out of you, I don't really care if it's clean and it sounds the same. Um, I think that it's shifted a little bit more towards that, which I'm totally down with. Obviously uniformity there, there is pros to that as well, but yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, if we want to go there, I mean the uniformity from like, I mean, hell, I'll even just say 2002, my year from like before that, was like, that was all it was. Identity was everything. And yeah. a lot of the instructors, you know, had some college degrees and stuff. Um, but I think a lot of them too were just drummers, you know, and they just, it was a more of a, a language that was passed down, you know. Um, what's that? Yeah, I mean, fanatic. you look back at those videos fanatic. with like,
1: with like Heidi, like wearing her drum, like way up and on her torso. And you're like, that's just not right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that can't I be comfortable. That can't be comfortable.
2: It does help with your left hand rotation, though. The higher the that's left true. you know, that's so that's, that's true. why I always lean to the left when I'm on the pad. <laughs> uh, but
1: I, it's funny you mentioned I, anytime there's like a conversation or Mike and I are like, who won drums that year? Oh, it's probably BD. Um, so that 2012 year, uh, well, now it is for sure, Vanguard. <laughs> yeah, now it's Vanguard um, every year. Yeah. I am for sure salty about my 2009 not winning drums and being second. But I told Mike, I was like, at least the year that you got beat by BD, they were good. they were like really good. Yeah, that's um, true. That's which true. They were really good in '09, but I did not think that they were better. I would say that they were probably better than Bluecoats, but
2: that's just. And again, anyway. you know, I've I actually haven't seen any other show from 2009. I was studying abroad in Japan. I did no drum corps. I was a, I was a student the summer of '09. I actually did watch okay, I'm lying, but it was in Japan. I watched some YouTube videos of you guys actually. And that cause all I remember is the green drums. Green drums. Yeah, you know, I was like Zach. I want Scott one of those green, green drums. drums. I wish I had one. <laughs> <laughs> all right,
1: so first year of 2012, crazy getting into it. Quad guy playing or teaching the snares. Quad player leading the snares. Worked out. Obviously Nick's just a freak talent and like intellectual and yeah i've only all... heard just dean and a handsome about... devil
2: handsome devil yes.
1: i've only heard dean just rave about nick and and what he brings to the table but so you were there what was your what was your last year at bd then uh
2: 2017 17
1: okay yeah uh so 15 was another fred sanford right the ink show um yes that, yeah we if did i'm remembering correctly and that yeah, also we... won that year um, it,
2: and it was a it was a battle of averages that year. Uh, I think we won one night and Vanguard and Bluecoats flipped for winning, but we stayed in second. So I think they were like the hell something like that. They were like um,
1: 1313 one, but you all were like 122 two, or something like that.
2: Yes. Yeah, it, it, so it just worked out, you know. Um I mean, thank God. I thought it was a great line. I mean, that group played well. That snare line was a great snare line. They were great guys. Uh, that whole group was was great. It took a while for that show
1: aka Ryan Ellis. Um. (laughs) Well,
2: it's funny. I almost mentioned ranks. You're talking about your drum. He bought his drum from 15. I almost brought that up uh, when you said you wanted your drum. But yeah, we worked it out. His mom came to me and said she wanted to buy the drum. So I went to Scott and he talked to everybody and got it done. And she, we gave like, when he turned his drum in, I was the guy, you know, that took all the stuff and I took it and I said, here you go. And I gave it right back to him. He was like, what are you doing? it's like and his mom was standing there you know she had a, a big shit-eating grin on her face his mom's awesome if you know his mom <clears> like, that's awesome super sweet yeah, yeah so that's, that's
0: the one thing i wish i would have done i would buy one of the 2010 blue star drums pearl drums in a heartbeat i can't well,
2: especially back then because they weren't wraps they were all lacquer. yeah
0: you know? those yeah it was cherry like, red the color was oh, a cherry oh. red in 2010 they were freaking gorgeous
2: the cherry reds are are gorgeous anywhere. Put any any cherry red drum. Yeah, mm. They, mm. those they were beautiful,
0: <laughs> and I actually almost tracked them down. I think some like either DCA Corps used them for a while after that summer, or I don't know. But I, I wish I would have pursued trying to buy one. But for you know, some high school now. Yeah, probably spread apart a bunch of in schools and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
2: probably probably not gonna find that. No, no, that that, <laughs> or, that is gone
1: to the ages.
2: Yeah
1: before we move into some of what you have going on now, and then also kind of talk about transitioning from like rudimental drumming to drum set, which you obviously you've been doing a lot of.
2: Did, oh, you can, did mention, mention one more thing. Yes, yes, yes. This is just a pat on uh, my team's back that in 2017, we did not win drums, but we did win high percussion finals night. And I totally don't take credit for that, but I say that because that drum line deserved again, that was a great group. So if anybody's listening to this, uh, you know, and you know Vanguard won that year. Of course they deserved to win. They're Vanguard, they were amazing. But that group of dudes deserved to be recognized for the work they put in the entire season. And they didn't win it, but they got some love. So just giving them a little love out there. Sorry to interrupt. That was the
1: uh the metamorph show where you had like yes. twenty
2: snare drums, right? Sixteen, yes. Sixteen, yeah. Not the whole show if you haven't seen it, but go check it out for sure. Well, maybe was it? It was four quads and five bases. Oh, no, it was not, it was eighteen. So it's nine and nine. Yeah. Nine sorry. okay,
1: okay, nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Sorry. I can't even remember either.
2: Um We were so perfectly before... off by two. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I keep interrupting you, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's everybody. A, again,
1: I, I dig it, I'm totally down. Uh you did say that you had you thought there was a slight difference in the style of quad drumming now versus maybe two thousand, early two thousands-ish. Uh hit me with that. <coughs>
2: <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, everybody, again. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've obviously eased into my comfort zone here. So let me just – this is my opinion, and there's going to be people that are before this time that are going to know how it got to that. Um, but I believe that quads really changed. So when Tom Float started – took over Caption Head at Blue Devils, uh, Scott and him kind of butted heads on who was going to write parts whenever so – Uh, or who was going to work with who, and Scott uh, ultimately took the quads, but under the conditions that he wrote the quad arounds. Tom would write the book, but he wrote everything on the beeline, and then Scott would put everything around. So Scott actually really got quad drumming arounds around. I think Scott has a a big hand in that. Um, Fast forward to Sean Vega. He was the first person that I thought played with real rebound and style, and he didn't just play drums. He wanted to look like he was a great drum player. So he... He incorporated the aesthetic of a, an amazing player uh, into the way he played. Now, I bring Sean up because I really think he was the first of his kind. You can go back to 97, 96, 95, and if you can get some videos, you'll notice he has the best set positions, the best uh, angles, uh, w- the way his sticks move. And you fast forward, his last year was Rudy's first year. Rudy's 17. He's an amazing talent, um, and Rudy was there for five years studying with just Sean, and at that time, they drummed in the off season as well. And so anyway, that's how the West coast thing. is. So I really think Rudy really elevated Sean's style. All right. Now we're getting to where I was finally going to take off. So you've got Miguel and Tim are finally meeting up. Miguel drum with Rudy for four years and took lessons from Vega. Now Miguel and Rudy are meeting up or I'm sorry, Miguel and Tim are meeting up. Tim's bringing some of that back out to rhythm X. Now rhythm X has an incredibly competitive quad line compared to like the West coast, but nobody else really does. Right. then, 2008, I think, 2009, 2010, 2009, 2008, 2009, Jeremy goes to Bluecoats. And Jeremy takes everything that we've been doing at RCC to Bluecoats. And I believe that that was the first time that I started to see other quad lines outside of Rhythm X and West Coast stuff starting to actually drum like we did. And what I mean by that is the way they move around the drums, the method of motion, um, the rules... That you use to create your motion um, and things like that, they adopted all that, and then that, you know, that group, a lot of those players, some of them were coming from the West Coast, and and then they were giving out their education, and I really think that that move, and the advent, you know, I think YouTube started busting around 2005, right, 2006, 2007, so that plus that, and then those quad players that were taught by the West Coasters are now getting more jobs, and it's all branching out, and of course everybody's swimming and everybody's getting higher educations. And moving around and really turning this activity into a business if i were to say based on what i saw that's when i i started to see the melting pot of west coast kind of um dissolving the old east coast style and everything coming in and i really think everything really looks like that a lot now and if this was a video and i had a set of quads i could demonstrate the specific differences between that particular style and like what we did now of course things have elevated and changed but i still see things and i I noticed this at rhythm x too with the way that kids uh, young adults approach certain things and i still feel like i can bring this this style of west coast that even now exists here a little bit but um will have real like bedrock to the to the method of motion that they're doing. And there's some other things that go along with that that I'll keep secret. But if you're watching this, you can DM me for a lesson and I'll gladly share <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what that is. Um, but I, I, I genuinely, I have no fears in saying that if you were to give me a group of players, you know, uh, and I was able to spend the right amount of time with them, I think that's the asterisk at the bottom of the page, that you would be like, damn, these guys look like West Coast quad guys for sure. And I, and I think that it's just because of how many years I spent on both sides of it, you know? So that's my opinion. Um, and when yeah, I those, said somebody might change it, I thought about Glenn Crosby being like, yeah, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So those years that you mentioned too, like 08 to like 2012, when Jeremy's kind of at, at Blue Coats and stuff too, there was a lot of crossover from Rhythm X. Like I think that obviously there's a huge connection of RCC to BD, but those years like 08, 09, 2010,
2: um, you guys got Amador. You had Scott Nelson, and then uh, Daniel yep. Ricoder. Daniel yep. didn't march to SoCal, but he was a Rudy student from NorCal,
1: right? Uh, he but, went and to, then on the indoor side, like from Rhythm X, you had Matt Bauer, Ryan Klaus, Dean Hickman. Like they all marched BD,
2: yeah,
1: and then all marched Rhythm X, yeah. Um, so they were kind of like bringing that back to this mid whatever you call it, Midwest, Ohio-like area. Yeah, it was a
2: real explosion. And I did forget I did forget to mention Mike Stevens, who has been ostracized. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but Mike Stevens uh, was yeah. the, he he was a Q5 guy, Blue Devil guy, and he went to cadets in 93, 94. Didn't Mike and, Stevens write Flamnabulous? Yeah, and he's the guy who came up with the, the coin, the phrase QB, which by the way, I'll also say on this podcast, the lowercase Version of QB was created by us in 03. We made the first shirt then, which they still do today, but I know they have no idea who did that first shirt. And if you're not, if you don't believe me, you can hit up Kenny Isidoro, who still has that shirt. Uh, (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, so I I should should mention Mike, because he was one of the very first, first West Coasters to come over to the East Coast and share some of that.
1: That's sick. That's a great story. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, me neither. My um,
2: opinion. By the way, I mentioned Miguel Guadarrama. Nobody knows about him. He's also still probably one of the best quad players I've ever seen. Um, so if you were listening to this, uh, I think his Instagram handle is Secret Steez. He doesn't put a bunch of quad videos out, but go bother him because you'll be impressed. I guarantee it.
1: <laughs> nice. That. Give him all the info. Yeah. Um, so we talked about it briefly before. We just kind of hit on your tenure and all that. But you have devoted, obviously – lengthy amount of time to the marching arts but this past year um 2021 i saw your instagram post where you said you were going to embark on an endeavor to drum every single day for the year or something like that and you can correct me if i'm wrong um but just like take us through like what made you want to do that and then like some of these crossovers from rudimental drumming that apply to drum set and like the kids or somebody that's want to get into that could, could take away from it.
2: Yeah, man. Thank you for asking. Um, this is where I'm at currently today and it's the thing that I'm most excited about right now. And it's the same reason that I left cadets to go to BD at some point, you've got to remove your shell and get into a bigger one so you can grow. Um, and to be honest, I haven't been thrilled with rudimental percussion lately. It doesn't, I like to teach it, um, but I don't like to play it. I, I kind of feel like I'm, I've am i kind of experienced it. Um, so, yeah, so I decided that it was time for me to evolve my playing as a musician and as a drummer. So last year, December 24th, I sat down at my drum set and started playing, made my first video, which I had never done because I uh, just I'm just not one of those guys, uh, which is probably why a lot of people don't know who I am. But uh, I just don't do all that or I hadn't. Um, so. Fast forward, I drummed like five or six days in a row. New Year's Eve is coming up and I'm standing in my kitchen. I told my mom, I was like, you know, I really want to believe in myself again. You know, I really want to earn the confidence that the back of my mind tells me I deserve, but I'm too afraid to, to have. And I, and I realized that I had the talent. I just truly hadn't put in the amount of work on my own skills as I had spent on giving other people their skills. So I made a very simple rule. No pressure. You never have to practice, but you'll drum every single day for a minimum of 30 minutes. The rules are simple. You have to sit at a drum set. There has to be pedals, um, and that's it. You just have to sit. So no pad work. You can't just drum with a pad. I couldn't. I don't count playing vibraphone. I don't count anything else. It has to be sitting down at a kit, real drums with pedals. Well, I would do electronic drums, but I, I, I just haven't. Um, and so those were the rules. And the big thing with that is, you know, with any New Year's resolution, you start out hard because you're trying to change. And eventually you burn yourself out or you overdo it mentally. And so what I did is I just thought any day I wasn't in the mood or I was getting frustrated or whatever. I just thought, whatever, I'm just going to put on my favorite songs and play because it makes me happy. And the, the main goal was to nurture my talents. Um, I don't think a lot. Of, I think a lot of people think about practice and getting like achieving goals and checking things off. And and they forget that music isn't like MMA or football or basketball or it it doesn't have to end at a certain age because you're physically can't do it. It's a lifelong gift that once you learn certain things you have them forever. Um, And that to me was inspiring in itself and I just hadn't looked at it that way. So, so I just did it. And of course, 30 minutes turned into an hour, turned into two hours, turned into four hours, Uh, turned into buying a set of microphones and a new drum set and uh, lights. And um, yeah, so what I ended up doing was I got really bored with the rock and roll stuff, which is what I was comfortable with. And I started to branch out. I started trying to play other things, ended up taking a lesson with Brandon Zaki, if you can believe that. Um, even though he was my student, he's killing it and he's a metal drummer and I was struggling with some foot technique stuff. And so I took a lesson from him and all the commentary he gave me was, uh, techniques he'd learned from a jazz drum set player. So I implemented them the very next day and it sucked because I basically sucked for about two weeks. I had to basically relearn my motor <laughs> skills and I'm not kidding. You know, if you play heal up stuff like that your whole life, you know, on, on the kick and you go to heel down. You know, it just it feels weird and you've you've got to learn it, but it creates control and and, and opportunities for dynamics and things like that. So anyway, I, I did all that and so I started to get interested in jazz because to be honest with you, and this is where I'll tangent in a bit to the rudimental connection, jazz scared me. Uh, Latin music scared me. Um, slow brush ballads <laughs> scared me. Uh, getting called to do a gig that didn't have a rehearsal before it scared me. And I just thought to myself, why am I scared? But there's other people that I believe were less talented that were doing this just fine. And I realized it was just a lack of effort and a lack of experience and a lack of uh, humility. Um, I was so used to being standing in front of the best in the world that I thought I had to be the best all the time and that people couldn't see me suck. So part of my videos was to just show my journey and to let other people know that you're not going to sound great all the time. Just wanted to show and commit to presenting that. And it was really good because once you start to tear those walls down, you start to get better because all of a sudden it's not about competition. It's about the arts and it's about, it's the same as taking a walk with your dog and you just enjoy nature or it's the same, you know, going to dinner with your, with your woman. You, you enjoy that time that you spend on it and it occupies your mind in a positive way. And for me, that's what it was. So yeah. That that makes,
1: well, just to interject, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And like you talking about just, just posting what you did, like, might not be the best thing, blah, 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 blah. But I think that that is probably the most inspiring thing to like young students. And what I tell kids all the time, it's like, look, and I've said it on this podcast several times. Like there was a point when I sucked at drums, just like all of us, but you can't just always see the, I don't know, the filtered social media version of like, Oh yeah, I, I was in crown 2009 on finals night when we we're playing our best of the year it's like it's like yeah but when I was 15 16 like I wasn't even playing traditional grip I, I didn't know how to hold it I didn't I sucked it like playing doubles like I mean there's just so much stuff like it's a process and that journey is is grueling but it's satisfying if you just if you commit to it and, and you stick with it so it's not always about like oh yeah he's so great all the time it's like Nah, bro, that ain't it.
2: <laughs> and I think a little bit as is the emotional and social challenges that come along with just music uh, and, and kind of the, the like um, the demographic, the way that it works, you know, like if it's, if you grew up in all marching band, competition is what you do and you have to play good all the time. Precision is the goal. Uh, and, and while that's very fun and it makes you very technical and you can execute things, it does Take away like it distracts you from what I believe now is the main purpose, which is just to give me purpose, Um, to have something that I can believe is my own. um, That is a calling card. You know, I just think that life needs purpose. Personally, I think more than a paycheck, I need to believe that my life means something Um, and that I did something with my body and my mind that was productive uh, and and you know, worth living. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people don't, don't know. And, and I was afraid to post those videos because I thought people would think that I sucked or they would be teching me or then they wouldn't want to hire me because now, well, I thought I wanted this guy, but did you see the, you know, his, it's, uh, the mix of his audio wasn't good. And now we can't trust his <laughs> things like that, that mess with your mind. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I posted a video last week and it was my first drum only video and I hated it, uh, but Dude, I left it up.
0: We I left it up when we evan and i started this podcast three three and a half years ago now evan something like that whatever it was we had no idea what we were doing and we were just like you know what all these self-help motivational gurus that are bullshit most of the time but like the one thing i think they get right a lot just start doing it just Just do it yeah that is the yeah we go back and listen to our early episodes like i've tried to go back and like pull clips and stuff for the youtube channel like short little five minute clips <laughs> and you can't of it. do it huh? i'm like dude i can't even listen to this why <laughs> did anyone listen to what we were doing and we're <laughs> and there's still p- probably audio improvements we could make or things we could do better but we've gotten a whole hell of a lot better at it and we just kind of <laughs> stuck with it and got it got the reps in to relate yeah. it to marching band like we got the reps in and just kept doing it all right. To reel us back in from our philosophical
1: like <laughs> adventure here. Like well yeah, I
2: do have to talk about bringing the marching to the drums. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, and I, and I know you're probably on a time limit, but I was gonna say this one thing too. We though. are not
1: on a timeline. This
2: last philosophical thing, but the master has failed more times than the beginner has tried. And it's one of those dumb dumb things that you're like you expect like the generic coach to tell you. But the truth is like, yeah, you just you got to go look stupid sometimes mm-hmm. um, because if you don't do it, you don't know how to adjust, you know. And so. So, yeah. Uh, thank you, Evan. Let me steer back uh, into the freeway here. Um, so a lot of people. Uh, this was my experience. I was a rudimental drummer. I wasn't very good at drum set. It was I, I, my touch wasn't right because of the instruments I'd been playing and the techniques I've been using. Uh, and my feel wasn't quite right. It was rigid. Um, it would be, it would be good or technical, but it just didn't feel like, right. Like an authentic listener of a certain style of music might be able to see through me. Um, but what I noticed that I think a lot of kids, they they get told like, Oh, you can't do that. Or like you're let, you can't play left traditional. If you play quads uh, or you, you know, you, you drummers, you know, rudimental guys just don't, don't do this stuff. Well, you're just a drummer. Um, you know, I will say this of all of the basic fundamental exercises that most of your groups should be playing legato strokes, double strokes, triple beat, uh, accent, tap rolls, and paradiddles. There's six fundamentals that can be played. Those are all a class level rudiments and vocabulary. And if you add flams to that, which I know is more of a world-class thing, but it's still on the basic 40 rudiments list. Uh, the PAS 40 rudiments. so something you should be learning in middle school. Um, If you can add that to your arsenal of just basics and you realize that your flams are essentially groupings of triple beats and quadruple or more beats, you could kind of extract that. If I just practice great legatos, great accent tap, I've got good doubles and triples and quadruples, just quick legatos. Um, I can pretty much start to play anything I want. Um, like your hands, if you're a rudimental drummer, your hands have the techniques to do these things. You just got to develop the independence and touch. And the last thing I'll say on that is the feet are very scary to kids, uh, and younger drummers, especially if you didn't start on drum set. Um, and it's very hard to go from marching and marking time to playing drum set. But I ended up tricking myself somewhere around July this year, maybe a little later, actually. I think, I mean, it's, it's crazy because it's taken me a year to even play certain songs. Uh, but we'll get to that, maybe. Um, that but yeah, I started, song, bro. Oh, that one. We'll get to that. That was, I thought I did pretty good on that one. I'm not going to lie. So it if you're good. watching this, I think I killed that cover. I love, um, it. Dude, and that song's just fun, man. That four over yeah. three. That little thing. Yeah. Uh, but I just yeah. started to think all these ostinato bass drum hi-hat patterns... I just need to re learn what my mark time is. So the Cuban, you know, the Cuban feet, the, um, the tumbao yeah. um, yeah. back thing yeah, yeah. or the Brazilian, yeah. like all those kind of basic, or even just the, the, the jazz, uh, feathering. I just tried to imagine that I would just had to go to a different group and mark time off a different foot or something. I already did cadets. It was off the right. I did blue devils in high school, everywhere else off the left. So I just essentially, and you have to learn to syncopate even those basic things over top of the the marked time when you're a kid. So I essentially just went back to the beginning and was like, well, I'm just learning a new mark time, and I've got to learn how some of these things syncopate over these. But you could take a lot of the skills that you learn in your basic drumline classes. If you change your touch, have a good flow, and aren't afraid to understand how those foot patterns are just... Just like you're marking time as a quarter note, now it's just a different rhythm, but it's gonna, you know, coexist. You could do a lot, um, and and I think that if you're a if you're a young drum set player or a percussionist who's doing the drum line, and maybe you're feeling like you're not good, or you're maybe you're a freshman in college and you you're taking you're you're a music major and your drum set isn't very good, but you're in the snare line at your school and it just doesn't feel right. You know, take a lesson with somebody you trust, get out of your school, ask a friend. Uh, Take a Zoom lesson, save up the 100 bucks, get a lesson from somebody who's really great, uh, and just let them watch you and give you some information. I I just think that there are a lot of rudimental applications that a lot of drum set players do not have that really meld well to just great fills and um, a lot of uh, um, uh, coordination and syncopation. Uh, That's not the word I'm looking for, actually. Uh, um, independence. Independence. Yeah, you know, like those things... Those just come. So I know I'm rambling a bit, um, but I just think for me, it was just, it was like super obvious that if I can play flams, I can play most hand patterns on the drum set. Absolutely.
1: Whew, I love that. And a lot of those rudiments that we learn as we're just like grilling ourselves as rudimental drummers, uh, in my personal opinion too, have led to some pretty uh, funky, funky, things that you can produce on a drum set. I mean, if you can play choo-choos and some flam accent with the the, the flam on like the third partial, you can create some some wild shit on drums.
2: <laughs> Dude, yeah, a a choo choo, you know, flam para para uh, however you want to look at it. if you're a young student, we're talking about paradiddles and you flam the diddle. cheta, decha flam Yeah. right? So uh um, yeah. well choo choos is You could flip it, which would be a flammed mill, I should say, which would be right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, and you flam the double. Um, Both of those variations, um, I think the first one, you could play that pattern on the ride and on the snare, which is just paradiddles with a flam, and instantly someone's not, they're going to have to double take that pattern. But it's just paradiddles with a flam, so it's flam taps and paradiddles. And and what that does is now you've got ghost notes on the snare, you've got syncopation and independence between your ride and your snare drum, and you've created these layers just based on a regular rudimental pattern you might have learned your freshman year. Um, so, yeah, I, a lot of those um, are very useful. One of
1: my favorite ones to do, and this is a complete tangent too, is like to do that choo choo or para flam tap, whatever somebody's gonna call it. Uh, you do that on the right hand, but then you just do a regular left hand paradiddle. And then you do accent, low, low flam, accent. So it's like... And you can just, like, go with it. And then you can mix and match the, uh, the bass drum as you go. And it's just like, dude, this in my head satisfies all the rudimental things that I want to do but it's very easy because I spent so many hours just playing paradiddles and (laughs) choo-choo's.
2: Exactly. Well, I'll give, I'll give away a free lesson real quick. I mean, you could do what I'm about to tell you for the, for the rest of your life on every pattern. But what I do is I play stick control, not the drum core version. I play the, this from the stick control book, just the first eight patterns. So just singles doubles off the left I do the invert patterns, So technically I do 10 patterns. So inverted doubles, right, left, left, right, right, left, left, right. Or left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left left for all the listeners. Um, And then I play, you know, all the paradiddle patterns, paradiddle, inverted paradiddle, the mill. And then I don't know what the last one is actually called, but right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right. Um, I'll do all those stick control patterns on the snare drum at piano with whatever foot pattern I'm doing. So if I'm learning a new foot pattern, I just put stick control to it. And then I do two variations where I accent all the paradiddle patterns, numbers five, six, seven, and eight on the downbeats or at the start of the paradiddle pattern. Essentially that will, that accent pattern will grid across, um, so that's one thing It'll I do
1: blow somebody's mind without it's in, in your head. You're just like, Oh, it's just a recycle. It's,
2: oh yeah. It's very, it's two simple things you can do, but putting them together. And when you start to get them together, you start to coordinate, quantize those things. And then you'll start to hear how those rhythms mix. Then you can start to orchestrate just those stickings. And then all of a sudden you're starting to feel comfortable um, because each of these elements are starting on different patterns or, or, uh, uh, partials, um, things like that. Um, so it's, very useful. Um and then the other drumline thing that I do a lot of, I've done it for jazz, I've done it for uh Cuban stuff. Um I've done it for I've done it for everything. It's just the basic grid. So I will do <clears throat> I've done 16th note timing, like thinking about timing as a grid. You could play that with just your foot. Uh you could play 16th note timing with your left hand while your right hand plays ostinatos. But let's just think even more simple. Maybe you're a kid that wants to learn some jazz. You could just play a jazz ride pattern with your left foot and just grid the accents across. And you just move the grid across. And what it does is it just kind of creates dexterity through all the levels and layers of those fields. And you could do that with any new pattern you're looking for. But really all you're doing is just acquainting yourself with every viewpoint in the room. You know, you go into a room, there's four walls. You work on 16th notes, there's four partials. I can only face one wall at a time. So for me to understand what's on each wall, I've got to look at each wall, understand it, and then close my eyes and remember it. And I got to be able to come back in that room and say what I saw on the wall. But I can't do it all at once. Um, And so it's kind of like that. You're just getting a perspective on how that groove might feel based on where the partial is or isn't or if it's accented uh, and how it might fit against things. Cause there's only four partials. So once you learn how all four of those variations, single note, double note and triple note go, that's every variation there are. So then all you got to do is add accents and that's legitimately every, you know, combination you might run into with those rhythms. And so I, I just think that's that like the like-
1: same, that's like the same mindset of just like when you're teaching a snare drummer or quad drummer, or bass drummer to like learn the grid. It's like, all right, learn the 16th note or, Triplet grid, and then learn how to put uh, a rudiment there, a diddle, a flam, a buzz, a whatever. And like it's the same thing that I teach in my lessons. Like if you can play this exercise and put something in it, you can play any marching passage that's ever thrown in front of you, ever.
2: Pretty much because it's it's all about developing diversity and uh, you know preparing yourself for options. You know, right? I mean, I think that that
1: was it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Real no, you're quick.
2: okay. I was just gonna say, my, I have had my drum set instructor tell me that uh, these things are stupid. So just so you know, the, you know, I, I legitimately played one of these grids for the guy that I'll be taking, you know, studying from, and he did tell me that it was useless and had no musical application. Uh, and I, I told him I was like, you're probably right, but it has a personal application. And what it does for me is I, I might not use this musically. But if I'm ever in a situation where I need to be able to play something or express what I'm feeling, if I've encountered <laughs> that that coordination, I can I can bring it back up because I'm not trying to mathematically put that lick together in my head um, before it comes. So and that's, that's that, yeah, and you're going to get problems like it for me. It does. personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah it helps yeah.
0: improv in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, a lot of people are like. You know, don't practice, play music. And then that same personal post, like, you better get out and practice today. And the truth is, you got to do both.
1: Yeah. You got to, yeah. you got
2: to. Sorry to interrupt. You're
1: good. No, no. I was just going to say, you have to do both. Like, if, like, I once heard a saying, and uh, this might be a little crude, but that's all right. I'm, I'm down with it. They it said, it said, like, two and four gets you paid, and two and four gets you laid. But at the <laughs> same time, uh, those people that stand out can, like, do both. They're just like a rock. At time and tempo, but like they also have that creativity as well. So,
2: anybody <laughs> ends up checking out my page. I have some videos that are dedicated to just, I'm gonna play this song the way it was. Then I have some where I'm like, I'm gonna play this song, but as if I was playing it. Then I have some where I'm like, I'm going to play anything that I want at any moment, regardless of musical application, because I just want to see. I don't want to think I want to like we're talking right now. I don't, I'm not thinking about the words. They're coming out. I'm expressing what I'm feeling and I'm using language to do that. And for me, I'm trying to be as comfortable on the drum set where I can tell you what I'm thinking uh, musically, but I don't want to think about it first. I just want to say it to you. And just like speech, it, it, it takes time and it takes experience. Uh, and you can go to another part of the world and they might speak the same language, but it might sound different or have a different, dialect or inflection or accent and that's the cool thing about music too is that those things are all if you don't try to do that you'll never find out who you are like what what you're trying to say on your instrument what your style is um and those are the things that will ultimately define you you know i mean i can play to to philly joe jones or Uh, Thomas Lang or uh, Danny Carey tool or whatever Thomas Travis Barker I could play with those guys and learn their style but ultimately those guys already have a sound and people might see you a little bit but they'll get bored because you don't stand for anything Uh, and so I think to really find your style you've got to um, throw it out you got to throw everything at the wall and 80 percent of it's going to be garbage Um, but you're going to (laughs) find some nuggets and you'll remember that one sounded cool I'm going to remember that and you start to, to take those and put them in your pocket and disregard all the other ones. Um, and suddenly you kind of have a bag of licks that are actually really cool. Um, and then you're not throwing out the, the garbage ones when you don't need to, you know?
1: Awesome. I, dude, that was, that was a great little hiatus we just took. Uh, and I really appreciate it. Uh, to kind of come full circle here and then we'll wrap up. I think, Mike, did you have one last thing on our kind of agenda you were curious about? And then we'll we'll tie yeah. it up in a bow
0: yeah I think this will be a good way to close this out to to bring us back to the the rudimental side of thing and your your teach teaching kind of experience. you were the battery coordinator for the Blue Devils for a while, right That was your official role
2: uh no I was so at Blue Devils there was no it was kind of a strange thing. Scott was the caption head mm-hmm. and I was technically the snare tech and Rudy was technically the quad tech um but we all Rudy would run the drum he was more like a battery battery coordinator. he would kind of run. Um, like tracking blocks and things like that, he coordinated with with the guys, um, and so he kind of took that that role of coordination, I would say. And Nick and I, I think, did more of the technical teaching. So the way that the way that they played, um, that kind of thing, uh, we did a lot of that. I, I would I would not take it away from the quad line. Rudy's uh, has a remarkable style and cheekiness about what he does that I think is very unique and individual. And so that was definitely there as well. Um, I was, I was very much in charge at RCC. I could do whatever I wanted to. Sean uh, was the program coordinator, but gave me full reign. And then I partnered with Matt Regwell a lot because he's an engineer. um, And so he's very organized and systematic. Um, Okay. I
0: I find that a lot of people that are instructors that are mathematical, like it just lends itself to like the, the process of cleaning a drum line of that, consistent approach every day. A lot of a lot of people are pretty mathematical that I find that are very successful in in teaching this activity. Obviously, there are those that aren't that are very successful as well, but I feel like it lends itself to teching and cleaning licks and developing technique. But that wasn't the point of this whole question. So oh, okay. my question will still apply whether you were the battery coordinator at BD because you said you ran things at RCC. The question is, how do you obviously you have to approach how you teach differently depending on the ability level of the members you are teaching. I have never had the experience personally of working with and teaching people anywhere close to the level of the blue devils, because typically, you know, the average age of the core is like 21.4 mm-hmm. or something or something ridiculous <laughs> almost every year. Like yeah. how, I don't even know how to phrase this. Like how do you approach the day to day when you're member base is so experienced so talented they can already play play their instruments extremely well like how do you approach that like what do you is it more about managing mental state versus physical capability making sure they're just like thinking about things the right way hopefully that question is answerable in the way i phrased it but
2: 100 percent, and it's a very good question and i think it is what separates uh good instructional staff especially over the summer um from mediocre uh, so it's a combination of all those things um it really is uh for the summer <laughs> i was trying to think I, I almost think i forgot the question in a way i was, about to <laughs> I was about wordy
0: i i rambled for yeah. a little while i can uh it's it's just like how do you approach the day-to-day when you're working with members of such oh, a yeah, high level right. How do you okay. approach the day-to-day? Right, right. And-
2: they can all play already. So you're yes. not in there like, hey, man, could you, you've got to get your fin- pinky on the – like, they can all play, and they should be kind of doing all that. So when you're at that level, a lot of what it is is like – that's like saying, well, the Patriots, they already had Brady. Well, they did before. Like, so do they need to practice? And it's like, well, so what are they doing at practice at a professional level? And I tried to model a lot of what we did off sports teams because they do – they have a season. There are – it's short. There is a preseason. There is the regular season. There's a postseason. Then there's the off season. And how do you deal with that yearly thing? For us at Blue Devils, obviously you get in and or at any high level, you know you've got to understand where you're at in the season, and then you've got to realize. I personally look at my own um, brain. I'm like, if I'm getting zoned out, if I'm not focused or I'm bored or whatever, they're probably bored. If I'm talking too much, they're not listening. Uh, if they look tired, they're probably not given their best effort. So at that level, when I'm with my younger kids, I just want them to do it again. They need the reps so that they can take the information and do something with it. These guys already have that. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get the best reps out of them. So even in the early season, we'll say, all right, we're going to do four reps of this and that's it. You know, just give them, let them know. I think the big thing is within with a, with a, with a mature group is tell them the plan. So if they're that good, they're already thinking about how they're planning their rehearsal. So allow them to cater their reps, their effort, their energy, their mind around the schedule so that they can give you which that way everything's focused. Um, Their efforts are focused on the on the goal. The teaching is focused. Um, And then you're also looking at like, well, if I do this 20 times and it's super fast rolls and they're running across the field well what's the use of the last five if they're just beat up other than at that point the, the at that point the choice would be hey guys i know that this sucks and you're probably not playing well we need to do this five more times and it's all about energy in the feet i don't even care what you sound like but i need your feet in time and so what i'll do is uh, i'll let them relax on certain things so they can focus on certain things um and you kind of just like with your own playing, you might work on something for a week and you feel good about it. You move on. You come back two or three weeks later, and it's okay, but it's rusty. So it's all about um, constantly, kind of woodworking. The show is the log, and as we every day we go out there, we're just taking shavings of wood off to present this image that no one can see yet. Um, and so some days you got to get in there and take off big chunks, but then some days you just got to get in there and sand it and step back and look at it. Uh, take breaks. Um, So I think a lot of people think that reps are the way or just beating them up um, or taking breaks are the way or whatever, or writing a good show. I mean, all of those factors um, are paramount in the success of a season. Um, But I will say with a advanced group, I actually like to get mentally started uh, preseason. I like to talk to them. I like to get their Understand what their goals are. I like to hear about their experiences, what they liked and what they didn't like, uh, and then I also like to prepare them physically because if you're not prepared physically, and I don't mean just marching, I mean chopping out, um, you're going to struggle. You know, um, so a lot of preseason stuff for me is like what it would be if it was football. We're in the we're in the weight room, and we're putting on meat. We're getting our diet, <laughs> you know, tuned in, and we're having meetings. Uh, we're watching film. We're discussing the playbook. All those things um, are the total package. So, uh, you know, and and you got to know your people. You know, if you're just an a-hole and you're not, if somebody's having a rough day, you got to see that on their face, and you got to pull them aside on a water break and just say, "You okay?" And if if they are, they'll tell you, and just tell them, "Hey, you look a little, you don't look like you're enjoying it." So, you know, whatever you got to do, and maybe they are having a rough day, and at least you guys have exchanged that and. There's a bit of empathy there. Um, And so when you do give your next comment, they're going to know that you're giving that comment because you want that thing right, not because they didn't play well because they were upset. And I think you're just not harping on them. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. I mean, there's a human element. I mean, people to get that good at something, they also want people to care that they got that good at something. Um, At least I did. And if you just show that you care a little bit, I think it goes a long way.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely did about caring about others caring about what I was doing, I guess hopefully I worded that right I don't
2: know yeah yeah I think so
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that was good yeah. I was exactly what I was looking for I mean, I think that is kind of a we've been going for just about a minute shy of an hour and a half so
1: time oh, flies away all day. right yeah okay time flies. Well, we
2: better wrap up or everybody's going to stop listening to this thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll break it up for them. Yeah, we're going to
0: break this up into clips on YouTube. Not clips, but like part one, two, three, probably four parts, four days in a row on YouTube. But it'll go up on Spotify and all that stuff, all as one podcast like normal. But so I think unless you two have anything you want to hit still, I think we're good to wrap this up. Anything? I think if we think. do, we'll
1: have to do another. We'll have to do an, We'll do like a part two.
0: Well, instead of a part two, why don't we just – commit to in a reaction video like we'll watch a bd video and jared can like <laughs> talk about what we're watching throughout it but we'll talk yeah. about that later so yeah
2: we, we could definitely do that i've never yeah. done one but uh yeah be down. all right we'll make that happen
0: uh everybody thanks for hanging out real quick just a quick summary subscribe drop a comment let us know what you think uh facebook instagram patreon.com for financial support check out LoneStarPercussion.com. discount code aged out uh, save yourself $10 and only $50 or more. All the links to all this stuff for the podcast and Lone Star all in the description uh, for the YouTube video, at least. Um, and we will just see everybody in the next one.
2: I got one more thing, if that's okay. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how can they find you? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I am at Jared Drums on YouTube and Jared Drums underscore Instagram. Go ahead and just check those out. I'm actually I'm doing a video right now of a gear rundown, so I'll I'll have something up if anybody's interested in what I'm playing and and all that. So yeah, so go I'm check that in, out. No, also endorsed by ProMark, Evans, and Zildjian, uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that those guys have taken very good care of me. I do like their products. I don't play them because they take care of me. I play their products because they're badass. So thank all you right. guys. Also, so thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> thanks for coming Back and hanging out. Did did say he was going to send a sticks. so if Macintosh is listening to this, <laughs> he, he did say he was going to send me some sticks. So I, I do
0: recall that this happened, but uh, links to Jared's stuff will be in the video description as well on YouTube. Uh, we'll see everybody next time.
2: Thanks, Peace. guys, for having me.